So reincarnation, Dana, past lives, past life regression. That's what we're going to talk about today, right? And uh, yeah, uh, and and I think that um, maybe to start, we go into a little bit of the of the history of it, the the starting point of its inception. And as far as I know, I think historically the the records that we have show that the theory of reincarnation began with like obviously the Hindus. And also interestingly, Pythagoras. Pythagoras was one of the first proponents of um, of reincarnation. And I, I only coincidentally learned that yesterday because I'm listening to a, a podcast called Philosophize This, which just is basically a, history, a lesson on all of the philosophers that have ever existed. It's really interesting. And I just started it yesterday. And of course, one of the first episodes is about Pythagoras and, and the guy Stephen West, I think his name is, said that Pythagoras was uh, a, a proponent of reincarnation, which I never knew. And I just thought it was kind of cool that we were planning on having this conversation and then that information came up. Yeah, what's so cool about Pythagoras too, it's he's not only did he believe in reincarnation, but he believed in a lot of esoterical and metaphysical concepts. I mean, um, but I would say with him, he's really the first Western proponent of it. I mean, yeah, like in terms of classical mode of thinking i mean it was it was around way before he was but he was, was the first it? one because to... okay so he was he was this is what i'm trying to figure out since i heard that i've been trying to figure out so that i can speak in an educated fashion and you will now educate me because it seems he was around in about 500 bc that was his and and the the hindu belief in reincarnation also evolved around 500 BC, I think, right? What what comes before that? You know, that's a really great um, question. I'm not entirely sure because I thought that it, it went back to the Vedics and that was before that, wasn't it? Like, it was, like but the, in the very beginning with the very first, um, with the Vedas, they actually believed in, um, in an afterlife. And uh, they they had, you know, the, the Vedas, of course, with like the Reek Veda, and they had all of the the verses that they would sing in ceremony, and they would have the Soma ceremony where they would create the drinks that are, we think, maybe similar to LSD or ayahuasca today. But from what I can tell, and it's really hard to pinpoint, and I'm sure if we had um, someone who was of that faith, they would be able to put us in line, but I'm pretty sure it started with the belief in the afterlife. And then after about, you know, 200 to 500 years, people started to revolt against the, the Brahmins and the, the priests who were running the ceremonies because they were starting to get a little finger pointy. And so that's when the Upanishads um, came into being. And that's, I think, when reincarnation began to be talked about. And that was around the same time as Pythagoras. So I think that they are, they go hand in hand and forgive us listeners if we're wrong about that. But, you know, either way, it, it, it's kind it really doesn't really matter who came up with it first. Right. It's just kind of like the, the idea that, that it, it seems to have been birthed around the same time. Um, mm -hmm. And then of course the Buddhists as a revolt against the caste system began that practice in closer to um around that time, but then closer to the first century CE, started to create their own school of thought around reincarnation. And then the Hindus put that into their own practice and created it, right? 
Yeah, but you can also look to a little further back to find reincarnation. If you look at ancient goddess-based religions, I mean, uh-huh. that's something that's there too. Ancient Celts and Germanic people um, supposedly had um, a belief in reincarnation. I think the thing where it becomes tricky when we start to trace those things back is you don't have written proof of it. You know, we have have stories that have been passed down. But if you listen to Dolores Cannon talk about reincarnation, which uh, she certainly (laughs) um, has a lot to say about it, she says that it dates back to ancient religions. Um, She also speaks about it being, some say, connected to um, Judaism and to certain veins of Kabbalah ways of thinking, you know. Um, But those, those ways of thinking and those practices also began around the same time as and when when you say Dolores Cannon who you know really comes more from a personal standpoint I think I I don't you know like she's coming from her own personal spiritual uh place right but does she when when you say Germanic ancient religions what are you talking about are you talking about Gauls are you talking about um Druids are which are not German but you know that kind of yeah what are you doing the, the Celts, yeah, but for me, the Celts, absolutely, and, and the Druids, but she doesn't, you know, with a lot of these, you've listened into Dolores Cannon and people like that, they're not, yeah, they're coming from a personal channel viewpoint, they're not using historical documentation. Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. What, that's um, what I'm trying to pinpoint right now, not personal opinion, but what we have in the historical documents, which of course, don't mean everything, because according to uh, academics, the you know, human society must have begun 35,000 years ago. But how do we know what came before 35,000 years ago? There could have been an enormous event, as Graham Hancock seems to believe, that destroyed the planet that had been a very advanced society before then. And that could have happened 2 million years ago. We don't have a lot of proof, but why would we if there is an enormous environmental event? And we also know from a from a context to that history is is told from the perspective of the the winner so so called or from the survivors yeah. but that you know there's a lot that gets lost and and um but what i think is so fascinating about looking at reincarnation as we know it connected to major religions is everything starting at the same time and that's something that historically you see look at the pyramids being built in separate parts of the world in similar fashions around the same time so what does this keep showing us that something was connecting people that came before us yes it's the same idea as the hundred monkey theory where the monkeys on one island and the monkeys on another island both discovered at the same time that cleaning a banana made it or cleaning a sweet potato or whatever it was made it more uh, appetizing than when they didn't. And they learned that at the same time, even though they were hundreds of miles away. And that the theory that once we hit a certain breaking point, ideas spread without needing it to be done with voice or command or anything like that. But like, so, okay, so there's Zoroastrianism and I'm, I'm looking it up right now because I don't know enough about it but i wonder if they had any kind of it's it's iranian and it's it's one of it's one of the world's oldest religions and there was a prophet and there was a dualistic cosmology of good and evil which of course <laughs> uh and belief in free will judgment after death so zoroastrianism which is kind of the basis for the catholic religion not necessarily the jesus led Catholic religion, but the new religion created by the Romans. So they Mm -hmm. have an afterlife as well. So they did not have that belief system. So I think we can uh, reasonably say that reincarnation became a a floating theory 
around the same time in around 500 BC. And if anybody disagrees or, or finds that to be silly, say so in the comments, please. <laughs> but um, the, the, the thing about it, though, is that, okay, so you take Plato. Plato was kind of from the school of Pythagoras. Plato, of course, came after Socrates, but Socrates being who he was, was uh, not, he didn't write anything that he said. So we don't have a lot of written record. We don't have any written record from him. So all the things we know about him come from Plato and Aristotle and um, Aristophanes and one other guy, I think. But, but and thank you, Stephen West, for teaching me the chronology of that. <laughs> but, uh, but so you take Plato, for instance, who was a proponent of reincarnation. And you take the theory of Atlantis, which some people, many people in the spiritual, in spiritual circles, people like Graham Hancock, and who is not necessarily in the spiritual circle, but kind of is, you know, um, you know who Graham Hancock is? Yeah. 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 Right now he's known for the Netflix show where he talks about the, but he also has been around for a long time writing books and talking. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the, the theory of Atlantis is, of course, as most people who are listening know, that there was a civilization that existed before our concept of, of time that was advanced and then was destroyed by a great flood. And now a lot of people believe that that civilization may be under the ocean somewhere. And I, I don't know what I think about that. What, what do you think about that? What are your thoughts about Atlantis before I continue? Somewhere? I mean, I, I absolutely think that it was it was a place at one point. Um, I think that, um, I don't, I'm not going to say I know the specifics of what happened or when it happened or, or how it happened, but there's so many people speaking about it, having channeled memories of it, having past life experiences connected with it, that I, um, I, and I personally have also had those. So I, I, to me, it, it's not, it's something that I believe because I can, I can hold a personal connection to it. It feels right. Mm -hmm. um, do I think there's a lot of historical evidence for it? Not, not necessarily. Um, yeah. Oh, uh, academics will say that the, that Plato's story of Atlantis was purely a an allegory to, you know, display the traits of morality and display the ways in which our behaviors can be our downfall, and that there's absolutely no reason to believe that Plato was suggesting that Atlantis was a real place. And then of course, there's the other school of thought that believes that Atlantis is a real place mm -hmm. and that it's buried under the ocean. And um, I kind of, I don't know what I, what I think. I, and I, the reason I bring this up is because it kind of goes into what I thought we could talk about with reincarnation a little bit. It's like, I know there are people who channel um, memories of Atlantis. I believe you and I have both had those experiences in journeys together. And, you know, I'm in, in no way am I denigrating those memories because like I said, I, I, I believe I've had them myself. But part of me wonders if the reason that people, including you and I have those, those experiences is because it's been put into the zeitgeist, you know, that there's this place that existed and we're spiritual people. So we, we lean toward the belief in these things and then are rather than having a channeled experience we're having a an experience of a story that was put in place by one of the the greats in terms of philosophical mm -hmm. thought 
I know that there are many people in the spiritual world who would say, well, that's just, you know, that's not believing and that's not being open. But I think it's important to also be in, you know, discerning about what is coming through and and really be able to determine what might be imagination, which is the thing that separates us from humanity. I mean, from, from the animal kingdom, right? The only way we're different from other animals is our imagination. That's the gift we have. Mm-hmm. So what what it, is it imagination and the need to explain or is it truly memories you know and it's the same thing with reincarnation i think it it seems like the theory of reincarnation j- just from just from what i've kind of garnered from watching that shift from the vedas to the upanishad and the ways in which they were pointing fingers the brahmins of the i think they were called brahmins the, that were conducting the ceremonies with the Vedas and they were pointing fingers and saying, you have to do this, you have to do this. And so there was a revolt against them. And in that revolt, they and the revolters developed this theory of reincarnation that almost feels a little bit like a way to put people in their place and keep them controlled rather than a real, you know, uh, religious, spiritual revelation. And I wonder if that's partially what's happening with, and I know this is devil's advocate stuff, you know, and, and I'm I'm glad you and I are talking about it because you're someone who is a, a past life regressionist, right? And who truly believes, I know you wouldn't call yourself that because there are all kinds of certifications you're supposed to get. Mm-hmm. Give me a break. What are the yeah. certifications? Give me a break. So, you know, you if you're a past life regressionist, you're a past life regressionist. Let's be honest here. You don't need to have a certificate to prove it. Mm. But- and and I I believe in it, I think. I don't have a strong belief system in it, but I, I have a belief in it. But how much of, of it is a response to a very long history of a, uh, a need to control and how much of it is genuinely coming from God, from spirit, you know? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I have a lot of thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I had a lot, a lot to say on what you just said. Um, Look, I think I think the first thing that I want to say is I I absolutely one hundred percent believe in it because I I feel it. I've had the experience, and this is where when we start to have spiritual and religious experiences, when we can use historical content and we can use facts and everything, and we can use those to build a case. But once you've had an experience, and and to be a spiritual person, discernment is is absolutely something you have to have, you know, you take what resonates, and to some extent, you do disregard the rest, you know, you, you it's almost like you're building your own, your own version of, you know, what you, you know, your truth to be as how you perceive the world in this individual um, existence. So, it's going to be subjective and it's going to be different because we're, we're bringing all of the things that make us us to the experience. Um, and I think, um, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to quantify personal experiences. It's hard to quantify things that you know to be your truth, you know, the things that resonate with you. What I can say is for myself and, and others, when they have this information, whether it's being told what your past life is, whether it's being able to be one of the lucky people that can see it and experience it and feel it and begin to see how you are having this life as Dana now, but I can also see other versions of myself unfolding at the same time that 
there's no logical way I can explain this to someone, you know, (laughs) it's in the experience, you know, I can make a case for it, I can convince someone, I can share my story, but at the end of the day, it's a deeply personal experience that we have, and I think that, I think that when we all begin to have similar experiences, is it the power of suggestion, or is it just that we can all tap into Atlantis because it's part of our collective shared experience, you know, and, and it's emerging now at this point in time because it has a lesson to teach us about where our own society is going and how we look at things. And, and, um, what is a collective shared experience though? Is it, isn't it, is there any difference between collective shared experience that is historically accurate or, you know, um, materialistically accurate and a story. It, isn't the shared experience the same? And by the story, I mean the Plato story of Atlantis. Isn't it the same? It's like the idea that, and and does that make it real? Does does the the shared experience of the story mean equally as much as the shared experience of the reality? It's like that. And I ask that because you consider the experiment where there was a monkey in a lab that was being experimented on for totally different reasons and had a uh you know the the patches against the brain i don't know that i can't think of the technical terms and there was the scientist that was working with the monkey took a break and there were some nuts in the corner of the room and the monkey was still hooked up to the machine and the scientist went to take a couple of the nuts and eat it and noticed that the monkey was having brain activity while the scientist ate the nuts and so began to study that phenomenon and began to realize that the experience of watching something is the same as having the experience itself so if you go see a movie you're actually experiencing what you're watching to your mind there's no difference you're you're watching it and it's happening so is it a similar thing and does it does it really matter i guess it, you know does it matter whether it's a historical historically accurate thing or not maybe not you know and i think what you're kind of beginning to talk about touches on something that science is beginning to learn about time and space that i think connects with reincarnation where science is now supporting the theory of relativity right where they're saying that time is interchangeable with space which is basically saying that everything that's ever happened that time isn't a line it's all happening at one point and this is stuff that's coming out of what science is is doing you know what what physics are doing and what you know they're doing in terms of looking at time and our place in it so if we're saying that everything's happening at the same time, we then what we're saying is we can only perceive something through our current per- perception, you know? So if we're looking at, if everything's happening at the same time, and we're about to look at all of these different points in our lives and our other lives, that it becomes a shared experience, you know? Like we're all able to kind of tap into the same thing. So it's similar to what's happening with, with the monkeys so the experience of watching someone eat nuts is the same as sort of like having these these sort of past life memories and looking at it and I think for me when I'm sitting and I'm holding space with someone else and I'm bringing their past life forward and they're having these emotional responses to it you know they're having these they're connecting and then they're you're able to see and understand ways about how they are and, and why they are the way they are 
I'm also having some of those same emotional reactions watching them, you know, but I can still understand that it's not happening to me. I'm just able to see it, you know? So I, I think that we do have differentiations, but I do think too, if we look at the theory of relativity and we start to look at some of the holographic ways of looking at the universe and the matrix, we start to really understand that maybe we really are all having the same experience, but we're just perceiving it from different points of time, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I have, I definitely have recently begun to wonder if if that's exactly the the spiritual point that we're we're all here and you we've talked about this you know but that we're we're here to experience everything in the name of some greater energetic force that needs to experience everything materially in order perhaps to go through the phases of full expansion to then become a new universe or something and so you know I'm here to experience being a couch potato, but I'm also here to experience being the king of Persia. And I'm mm -hmm. here to experience being, you know, a, a child in the streets of Calcutta, I think is the exact example I've used in the past. And all at once I'm experiencing these things in, mm -hmm. and of course, listing these things as being experiencing the greatest of material wealth, the least of material wealth, or you might say vice versa, the least being the king of Persia and the greatest being the child in Calcutta because what is material wealth really uh or to be the person who sits on the couch and does nothing my entire life so this energy this greater energy needs to experience all levels of existence in order to take the expansion to the next level that's something I've been thinking about lately but I guess I guess my my struggle with the theory of reincarnation and past lives is that it's it's so linear. There's such a linear nature to it. And I, yeah. I just can't, I can't buy into that. I, I just can't Absolutely. buy into it. And I think, and, and, you know, as you're speaking, what, what's coming to me in understanding is when we talk about discernment and our own spiritual beliefs is that reincarnation, I think is the first way that we are able to, as humans, wrap our head around a multidimensional existence. So mm -hmm. we could only ever begin to process it. And I see this in my own evolution spiritually is in order for me to un be able to understand that we are multidimensional beings, I couldn't step into that understanding without breaking it down. So mm -hmm. we have to break things down so we're able to process it. So the mm -hmm. idea of reincarnation is something that because we live in a world where we're taught to think so linearly, that was the first way my brain could begin to process something larger and more connected in a way that I could understand it. And then as you get deeper into it, then you understand, okay, this, this concept of looking at reincarnations as past life, we're onto something here, but we're only seeing part of the story, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, and I think, and, and even just looking at me, my beliefs personally, because I can only speak to that, right? I can only truly speak to that, is I believed in reincarnation from a very young age. And the interesting thing about it growing up, you know, in America, in the suburban existence in the 80s, I thought it was something I made up. I thought it was like my own thing. I thought it was something, I had no context for what it was. And then as I got older and started having experiences and started reading things, I was like, oh, I didn't make this up. Like, this is a real thing, you know? 
Um, and it was still interesting to, to fit it into my own philosophy because I wasn't raised Buddhist. I wasn't raised, you know, um, I, I'm not, you know, from the East. My parents don't have those those mentalities, those ways of thinking. And I had to start to reconcile it through the experiences that I was having. And one of the earliest experiences I had where I felt like I understood and knew what it was is, and I didn't understand it at the time, I can understand it retrospectively, is we um always had, my parents are both very into revolutionary war history. We've been all up and down the East Coast. I've been everywhere George Washington has slept, eat, had a drink, passed through, anything like that. And one of the places we went when I was, I guess I was about 10, yeah, about 10 is Colonial Williamsburg, right? I don't know if you've ever been there. I think but so. it's, it's really, really, if you're like into early American history, it's a super cool place to go. Um, and we went there and you can know that it's as if you're walking in a town the way it was pre-Revolutionary War. And they have the pubs and they have the inns and the courthouse. And and I remember going in, we went made um, appointments to eat at this one place that was like, supposed to be really authentic or whatever that means and I remember going in and walking up the steps and having a moment where like I wasn't me anymore like I felt like I could see the way everything looked and I thought to myself I always thought when I had these experiences I always thought I had such an overactive imagination you know because I was able to like imagine things very easily and I think the ability to imagine is maybe mislabeled in our society sometimes we're, we're able to tap into other things so it's not really imagination it means we're able to actually be intuitive and we're able to have moments and glimpses of a multi-dimensional world and I remember just having this place of this feeling of being out of place like something wasn't right like it wasn't in my body that I, I, I didn't know what was going on and we go in and we're eating and we're eating off of these pewter plates and we have the mugs and the food it was like some sort of like um like a roast and there was potatoes and it was all of these sorts of things and just the experiences of eating it I was like I think I've done this before like this has happened before like this is some place that I've been before um and I remember asking my mom I was like mom have we had this before have we been here before and she's like no you know we've been this has never happened before um and I didn't really know how to like understand that and then I remember later on, I read a book and it was one of those choose your own mysteries. Do you remember that? Where you could like actually um, choose what happened. Mm -hmm. And this was a about a girl that went somewhere and then she like realized that she was like connecting with herself that used to live there at the time. And this was just like, I, I felt like after I read this book, I knew this is what happened to me. Like I knew that this is what it was, but you know, like, I'm like, at this point, like, I'm a preteen, I have no, like, concept, there's no internet, we can't look this stuff up then, nobody's ever talked about reincarnation, I was like, thought it was this, like, thing that belonged to me only. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very interesting. And, and, you know, I, I, I recently had an experience like that, watching that, uh, the, the show on Amazon that I shared with you and Jacqueline about the, um, the Oracle at Delphi and the, the Baya Oracle. And I was watching historians and archeologists go into those underground chambers where they existed. And I felt, I, I remembered, you know, I, I remembered mm -hmm. something. 
I don't know if I remembered being an initiate or I remembered being an oracle, but I remembered something. So I, I know that feeling, but just to go back to the idea of imagination and it actually being intuitive ability rather than imagination. I'm I'm reading right now, it came out a while ago, but I'm reading the book Sapiens right now. You know that book um, by mm -hmm. Yuval, uh, I, I forget his last name, but it's uh, it's about the history of the, of humanity and, and where we, how we began. And his, one of his most important points, I think, is that the thing that separates humans from the animal kingdom is imagination and that it is the basis of everything we do. The imagination creates everything that we think is real today. And it made me realize that maybe that's what it means with that. We live in a dream that we live in Maya, you know, that, that even the belief in equal rights is actually based on imagination. Even the belief in, especially the belief in government, the belief in money, the belief in capitalism, all of it is based on our imagination. None of it could exist without humans buying into the same theories and having the same imagination about what it means. And the thing he says about equal rights, which it's tough to even say, and a lot of people will bristle, but it's the idea that are we really equal? You know, you and I, just take you and I, forget about the very complicated other aspects. We're not actually equal. We have different, there are different quotients that make up each of us. We're not equal. It's not about better or worse or moral or immoral. Those are also imaginary things. It's just about equality. It's just about what there are differences here. And we have even an idea of what equality means. So all of it is based on imagination. But I was thinking as I was reading it, how does imagination take us to the next level of advancement? How does it, how does imagination take us to the ascension? And so you saying that imagination could actually be intuition, that might be it. That might be the bridge. Imagination is the bridge to intuit into an intuition. Yeah following your intuition rather than your imagination so that you discern the differences between what you imagine to be real and what may be real. So I imagine that this dollar bill in my wallet has meaning, but does the dollar bill actually have meaning? Does it mean anything at all? And why do we, why is it our new God? Why, why is material wealth our new God? Because we imagine it to be necessary and needed. How do we bridge that gap to, to break out of that imaginary foolishness? Perhaps it's intuition and it's the discernment that allows imagination to become intuition. So I remember one of, I think the best pieces of advice or best things that I ever learned when I was taking, we were both in the same class with our, with our mentor and we were learning how to, you know, take this intuition we have further how to really you know put meaning and develop these experiences we were having outside of ever trying to channel it and I remember one of the things I I that I was very hung up on for a while was like it felt like sometimes when I was giving intuitive information no not sometimes it always used to that I, I felt like I was half making it up mm -hmm. and that really bothered me because I didn't want to be making it up I wanted to be truthful and real and 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 accurate and I remember saying that and I remember that our mentor said to us well so what if you're making it up what I want you to do is go with the feeling that you are making it up let yourself go into it and then when I allowed myself to do that my the readings that I gave and the information that I was able to just take from spirit and give to someone else because that's all we're doing at the end of the day people were connecting like that with everything. Mm -hmm. That's what it really, and, and I really realized that what that was is 
it wasn't that I wasn't managing it, but I was allowing myself to go enough. Like I was letting go. And I think sometimes when, when we talk about imagination in our society, like we kind of almost treat it like we're not supposed to do that on some level like it's the thing that children do and and adults don't imagine and imagination it is it's too left-brained is the artistic side right right brained is the right I always get those mixed up it's too it's mixed up too (laughs) it's too it's fanciful it's a waste of time it's not capitalism <laughs> and little do they know capitalism is the most imaginary thing that exists you know it's capitalism right. money but yeah yeah but it it goes it, this what you're saying goes along with the same idea that we were talking about before about whether atlantis is a real society or not is the belief in it enough that does it matter it's the same idea as as jesus as the belief in jesus was jesus a real person well there is one mention of jesus in all of history by josephus who was a historian at the time who we have most of our information from he mentioned jesus's mm-hmm. name once so that's all we have and of course we have the gospels that talk all about jesus but that's it you know there's there's the new testament and there's one mention by josephus and and jesus of course seems to be rooted in Zoro, a, a certain being from Zoroastrianism, the same story. So was Jesus real? I don't know. I, I'd like to believe Jesus was real. I'd like to believe that an enlightened being like that walked the planet. The the Buddha was, was real and the Buddha walked the planet. So why not? You know, why, why can't Jesus be real? But does it, does it really matter whether Jesus is real or not at this point? Well, Jesus is real. And yeah, it, it doesn't matter, but also because of the belief in him and the shared constant sharing with and people choosing to live their life and be guided by the words he said, whether it's true or misguided, right. um, he, he's been created to be something in this universe. Like the idea of him has been created. So he is real on some level. He's just as real as that capitalism or that dollar bill or that anything. You know? And, and is if jesus okay so exactly i agree and and if jesus is not real then who's to say that the energy of jesus is jesus at all but rather is mary magdalene maybe mary magdalene did all the things that we say jesus did maybe mary magdalene was the one who was crucified maybe mary magdalene is the one who cured people maybe if jesus is not real and we can't prove that jesus was real maybe jesus wasn't even male Maybe that's, you know, so it's like this whole, we could, the whole thing could be turned on its head. 20 years ago, Mary Magdalene wasn't even considered a real apostle or part of the whole history. And, you know, then you take Tom Kenyon's channeled book about Mary Magdalene and uh, the, the Magdalene manuscripts. And you begin to wonder if maybe Mary Magdalene was the one that it actually created all of these incredible teachings that we believe today to be that we attribute to Jesus, you know? I, my personal belief on Mary Magdalene and and it's not just me, as you know, it's in it's in other things is I think she was the divine feminine counterpart to Jesus, who was the divine masculine. And what that means is they exist in balance, right? This is the one balances out the other and they're teaching us something about the entirety of the universe and the entirety of spiritualism and i think that's what reincarnation 
is too. Reincarnation at the end of the day talks about balance. If we really look at what it's saying, it's saying that we are here in this life as Dana, as Kristen, and then we die as all things do, and we come back and do it again, and we become a different person. We could be the same sex. We could be a different sex. We could Do we be, become only people? Or we, who knows? Maybe we don't even stay human. Maybe we have other experiences. I, I, I don't know, you know, but what I do know is in the experiences I've had, it's all about balancing things. And I don't think it's as simple. And we talked about this a little bit on, on Friday, as simple as where I do something bad now. So then in my next life, I'm punished for it, right? Like, you know, maybe it takes a little while for that to happen or it plays out different, but it's all about balance. It's all about us balancing and experiencing all of the vast experiences this planet has to offer among all of the other planets and all of the other dimensions and all of the other ways of being out there. And it's about balance. And even if you look at nature and you look at nature and the way the sun rises and sets and there's the sun and the moon and the ocean keeps turning. It's all about balance again, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you, you make me think of my first uh, personal understanding of what I understand, what, what I believe to be reincarnation potentially, because you mentioned the idea of morality and the, of coming back as something much lower because of your behavior. And, and that's a very Buddhist belief, right? And um, I think it's also a Hindu belief, but not quite as much. I think it's more of a Buddhist yeah, belief. Absolutely. You behave a certain way and then you suffer for it later. Uh, and that the endless cycle of suffering can be ended by letting go of desire. And, but so that you then behave in a way that allows you to come back in more positive forms until finally you don't have to come back at all, or you choose to come back and help people to figure, to learn their own endless cycle of suffering. But I, I definitely, I think that as I get older and, and think about it more, I don't know that I believe in that whole morality aspect of, of reincarnation. I just don't think morality is a real thing. I think morality is something that we have created in our imagination. There are actions that hurt people and there are actions that don't hurt people, but the hurting, and I say this with, with compassion, the hurting is also in our imagination. Even the hurting that ends in death is in our imagination, actually. It just is. It's not about, again, I'm not assigning a moral belief or, and I'm sure that there are people who listen to what I'm saying and assign a moral judgment on me for saying it, you know, but it's, it's in our imagination morality. And so, but my, my first experience with having coming to grips at all with reincarnation, I was, I had just left college and I was working this job at the, at an, in an office at the front desk. And interestingly, the woman who was my boss after I'd been there about six months announced that she was leaving because she was going to start working with us, the spiritual master that she had met. And I, I don't think he was a spiritual master. I think he was more of a person who was writing books and, you know, getting, trying to get followers and things like that. But that doesn't mean that there's no value in it. it, it she, she'd been opened to something that made her not want to do what she was doing anymore. And so before she left, she brought him in and she organized a group meditation with everybody who worked in the office, which was totally inappropriate according to cor corporate America. Had they known that she had done that, they would have probably been, you know, through the roof. But so she 
had us all gather in the conference room. I think there were probably 10 people who worked in the office. We all laid on the ground. This is corporate America here, you know, totally against. We all laid on the ground. He shut off the lights. He led us in a group meditation. It wasn't the first group meditation I'd been a part of. In high school, I was a part of a few group meditations. But, um, you know, I think it was probably a 20-minute meditation. And at some point, and a white light appeared in my vision, just completely filled my entire vision. And I thought someone had turned the lights on in the room. And when it was over, I was like, did somebody turn the lights on in the middle? Because, and I, they were like, nobody turned the lights on. And they were like, why, what happened? And I told them and they were like, wow, that's, that's something she was like, you're going places. I was like, good. I hope, so. I hope it's out of here. <laughs> but so, so uh, shortly later, short, uh, probably like a couple of months later, I had this revelation one day because I didn't have much to do in that job. And I understood somehow, I don't know why it was not a part of my belief system either. I was raised Catholic. I hadn't done any study of Buddhism or Hinduism, maybe a little bit in college of like maybe some philosophical, but I went to a Catholic college. So, I mean, it was a real philosophical class. It wasn't like, you know, it was a Jesuit taught philosophy class, but I didn't do very well in it. It was hard, you know? So anyway, my point is I didn't have a basis of thought about reincarnation at the time. And I suddenly understood that when we pass, that the energy that makes us up, the, the molecules that make us up, mostly are either neutrally charged or positively charged, but there are negative um, ions in our, in our molecules. And that when we die, those molecules disperse and are then attracted to other molecules in the universe that then create a new being eventually. And so the positive and negative, though that's just a pure scientific, you know, thesis about what comprises molecules, perhaps there is some kind of moral uh, definition to those positive and negative ions that connect and create a being that is either a Mother Teresa or an Adolf Hitler, not to Mother Teresa is a bad example, because apparently there's a lot of stuff about Mother Teresa that's, you know, but whatever, you know, the idea of Mother Teresa, the archetypes, good and evil, and that these, you know, that these positive ions that disperse are attracted then to positive and negative ions to create new beings. And I, I, it really was a vision. I, I was taken out of it for a, a while. And then I wrote it down on my computer and my computer after I finished completely crashed, totally crashed, everything lost. And then I wrote it, hand wrote it and I lost the piece of paper. I wish I could find it, but it's, that's basically what I said, you know, and that people like John Wayne Gacy are the result of negative ions that have created you know a being who could exist like him so it it that's not so different than from the idea of morality right um but it's no. it's also a little bit less about good and bad and and more about just biology i think which is yeah how i like to try to explain all of this stuff i try to go i like i enjoy trying to make sense of it i've had conversations with people who are like i don't i don't do that i don't i'm not interested in that but it's like why why not try and make the spiritual biological why not isn't that the point you know i i think i personally think that science is what's going to prove everything one day but i also don't think that I also don't think too that that's always the the point of it either. You know, I think I think what that's going to do is that's going to help more people find the path. But I think we're all on different parts of our path, and 
I think for you to, you know, have this experience where you're talking about these positive and negative ions and then the computer crashes and then you can't find the paper, it's because it's what allowed you to start yourself on the path towards all of these other ways of thinking. So what you're saying isn't wrong. It isn't technically wrong, right? But maybe it's when I hear that for me, I'm like, okay, I get the positive and negative ions, but for me, it's all about the experience. I'm like, well, we all have to have the experience of what it's like to be a Hitler or a Mother Teresa-like figure. You know, it's all about the experience, you know? So uh, assigning the positive or negative attributes to it is kind of almost like it's, it's part of the point, but it's also not the point because then what that's us assigning the morality to it, you know, and, 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 and at the end of the day, like Hitler, I mean, everything he did was wrong, horrible, absolutely whatever, but there was a reason for him, right? Even if we don't understand it now, he's part of the world and for whatever it was, it's, it's supposed to teach us something about our collective oneness and our ability to love one another. Um, and maybe it did for some, but it's also pure evil at the same time. But that's, that's the point of it is that the, the, all these different experiences and maybe we're not supposed to assign any judgment to them, which is so hard to do, right? Like, how do you not condone a figure like Hitler or Donald Trump or anyone like that, you know, but there's two versions of judgment. There's, there's the moral judgment that, you know, let's remove Hitler from the equation because he's so complicated. I, I always use Hitler as an example as well, because he's in, mm -hmm. in our history, at least con considered one of the most flawed, you know, mistaken people of all time. Right. But mm -hmm. there's also, of course, many others who are, but let's, let's simplify it and just take out any personality and just, you know, take, make it, take, make it about an individual who has acted in ways that we judge badly. So there are two judgments about that. Of course, there's the moral judgment. This person is very bad. And then there's just the pure scientific judgment about it, which is, all right, so what about cancer cells? Okay, let's, let's look at cancer cells. Mm -hmm. If we were a cancer cell, would we want to be destroyed trying to, to eat the organ that we're eating as cancer cells? No, it would be a moral judgment to us. But as we look at cancer cells from this point of view, it's not moral. It's It would be immoral not to kill the cancer cell. Mm -hmm. Viruses, are they moral? No, we don't look at it as a moral thing. We look at it as a scientific need to kill a virus. Are we different from a virus? Is there any difference just because we have imagination? The way we treat chickens and cows, is that that's acceptable to to allow cows to live in tiny little cages for a few months until we kill them chickens treated like you know little pieces of garbage that we eat is that okay yeah like it's 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 all suffering and it, and i think when we we speak about it it's something where when we talk about good and evil and we talk about you know being wronged we're really not understanding that we're all looking at ownership it's all us trying to own something whether it's another person or another being or have sovereignty over an experience and it's it, at the end of the day the only thing we own is how we react to what's happened to us you know and you know like the ways in which we grow as humans usually come from the worst things that have happened to us right 
Mm-hmm. And I think they're here for a, for a reason. And we're beginning to understand something of that in this lifetime when we pursue spiritualism, when we when we start to understand these experiences and when we're open to spirit and we're open to the larger connection. But really, we, we still know, I still know at least that the perspective I have now is not the same perspective I'm going to have when I'm 50 or 80 or when I'm leaving this world and looking back at my life and my larger soul. Because when we talk about reincarnation, we have to understand we're talking about the concept of us having a soul that's larger than who we are. Mm-hmm. And what, you know, what will I need to do next? How will I decide to come back? You know, because it's not that simple. I'm not going to simply come back. I'm going to connect with a different version of something that's already happening to me. And then I will understand something I couldn't even begin to understand right now when we're sitting here having this conversation, you know, like. Yeah, the, it. I, I understand what you're saying. And I have my own version of that philosophy. But at the same time, I hear you say it and I hear myself think it. And I, I think to myself, I have no idea what I'm talking about. You know, that there's, I have no idea what, I mean, that that's the whole point, I guess, is that we really, the whole thing. yeah, there may be, we may choose, we may not choose, we may come back, we may not, that there's, we may be nothing when this body disintegrates, that may be true. It, I, I think, I think the, the experience that I had years ago with the positive and negative and the molecules and all that, what it, what it showed me was that we reincarnation is real, but that it's not necessarily, there's not necessarily consciousness assigned to that reincarnation, that those positive and negative ions and molecules with positive and negative ions still exist, but there isn't necessarily consciousness with it. It's just still existing. So it's reincarnation, but then we assign story to it to make our existence here a little bit more bearable. Uh, but, but I don't know. I mean, my experience as a medium and, and the, the things that I connect to tell me that it's not just nothing, that, that consciousness exists beyond the human form. Absolutely. But, and I the deeper we get into being mediums and to being, you know, mystics and to being all of this, the one thing we do realize is the more we learn, the more we realize how little we really know, right? And um, and that's kind of the the wonder of it and the magic of it, I think, is that like the idea, like it's the idea of having everything figured out and understanding something is sounds so incredibly like kind of not, not never gonna happen. I wouldn't want it to happen. Like, what would our, like, where would our motivation be? And I don't know. There are a lot of people who think they have all they have the, you know, who sell, they're selling something, right? So capitalism is, has invaded spiritualism big time. And it's, it's, it dictates what everybody does in order to make money off other people. And we, a lot of spiritual people sell their beliefs as being Mm -hmm. the one and only. And it's like, it's, I, I bristle against it so much. All I know to be true is that there are energies beyond us that we can tap into and all of us can tap into it. Mm-hmm. And it's not one or a few group or a small group of people who can tap into it. We all can. That's my mission in life is to help people see that that's the case, that you don't need a go-between. You are connected to the great spirit. You are, and that's just a, 
another imaginary phrase for a thing that is way beyond anything we can possibly understand and that you don't need in between people there is a right now we're in a phase where where the where the the um middle person is required to help people get in touch with their own connection but that middle person isn't going to be required forever thankfully because then we'll come to a place where it's a spiritual a spiritual society and all of these imaginary things about material wealth won't be so important anymore but right now a lot of people come into the spiritual community with the hope of becoming the savior of the world writing books getting clients and charging three thousand dollars an hour to give readings because they've been on a much bigger podcast or youtube channel than this is so that they get a lot of people who check their website and make tons of money for themselves and it's just to me i bristle against that so much it's such hypocrisy and and yet it also spreads the message whether or not these people are so misguided in their attempt to get on top of capitalistic society they do also spread ideas that create new ideas which is how philosophy was born right it, it was born mm -hmm. with old ideas being built upon with new ideas so it's not all bad but that the idea of having all, all the answers back to what you were saying is is just how can you possibly ex believe that you have the answers about anything all you have are ideas and questions it's all we have it's curiosity yeah. I, I think we're so in the beginning stages of collectively waking up in our Western world that I think it's almost like you know, at this point world. in the whole world, well, not just the yeah, West, the whole world. Yeah. Just because that's certain philosophical or, or, you know, spiritual beliefs that existed before the Western world. It doesn't mean those people are any more advanced than us. We're all the same. Right. We're moving really towards a global world, which is a world of oneness. And I think that as we're doing that, that anything that's going to help us wake up, because different people are going to require different things to wake up. I mean, look at the people in our own lives. Like, look at what makes certain people respond. It's always different. You know, what makes people see things and, and learn things. And I, I think that in so many ways, the matrix has it right that we're all kind of like in this sort of like state of being asleep on some levels. For some people, reincarnation could be the first initial looking at it like that could be the way. Maybe other people can jump right into multidimensional existence. Some people are going to have to wake up within the parameters of organized religion through a church. Other people are going to find it in nature, you know, and it's, um, but what we're talking about being reborn when we talk about reincarnation, we're talking also about some level of resurrection. You know, it, it's a form of resurrection. It's not the same resurrection that, that Jesus exactly went through, but it's a form of it. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, to resurrect our souls differently, you know, to be able to see something more than who we are. It seems to me the basis point of all of these different journeys to the same information like you said some will come to it this way some will come to it that way it seems that the basis of it all is the existence of pain and suffering and that you know you i i know for me and i think we've talked about this extensively a lot of people come to their spiritual gifts through a painful experience a traumatic experience it's it's a very common very common thing like that dark night of the soul kind of idea the dark night of the soul or it can be an actual you know something that it, it, 
occurs in life that is so painful that you can no longer be asleep to the pain that exists within you. It wakes you up to the pain that you carry. And the only way to be fully human is to be fully present with both the pain and the love. And maybe both are the same, but those are the two aspects of the human. And most of us want to avoid one half of the aspect of the human, the pain. And so when something happens that forces us to come face to face with the pain, it not only is an experience of healing the pain in the moment, whatever it is that's happened, that's become the trauma for you, but also you are forced also then to reckon with all of the, the things that you've carried, that you carry in yourselves, all of the painful experiences that you've refused to process, that you've refused to be present with, the experience of loneliness, the experience of all the things, the experience of irritation, of of jealousy, of hatred, of rage, all of those things that we push, push, push away as not being part of us because they're a moral weakness. And rather than doing that, we are forced to be present with them, which then opens us to the truth around us. So it's interesting that that, that seems to be the basis of all growth. And what does that mean exactly? What, what does it mean? Is that what we're sleeping through? Are we sleeping through the truth of what it is to be human, which is to suffer? And, you know, you hear obviously the monks and the and buddha are they're all much wiser than me but it does seem that the whole goal in history has been to escape suffering but maybe that's not what the goal is maybe the goal is to be with suffering to allow suffering to accept that that is part of who we are and that in the process, then we open ourselves to the fullness of who we are, which actually is much more pleasant and beautiful than the experience of not having any pain at all, right? Absolutely. And, and when you're talking about this suffering, you're talking about balance, the same balance that we look at with the incarnation. We're, we're understanding that life is a balance. It's not just a pursuit of love. It's a freeing ourselves from the suffering or understanding it or facing it. But first, before we can free anything, we have to face it and acknowledge it, right? Is the point to free ourselves from suffering? Is that possible? Are we the, going to ever be free from suffering? And the control it has over us. Right. Or yeah. to allow it to have control over us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like, it, is it, is suffering, in our, in this world, suffering is considered bad. But is it, if, if we were to, free ourselves from the restrictions against suffering, would suffering be so bad? Maybe it's our belief that we need to keep suffering away that is actually jailing us and locking us into certain ways of being. Maybe if we were to say, I will suffer, that is who I am. I am a sufferer and I am a lover. And mm -hmm. that's what I'm here for. And therefore I accept it, you know? Yeah, because I think some experiences, that's that's part of it, you know? Um, and I think it's interesting, too, we, we speak of suffering. Most people, myself included, and I've seen this with other people, the first awareness we have of another life, whether it's given to us by a, an intuitive or, or we're doing the journeying ourselves or we're having sometimes spontaneous things, is the first one that really affects us is usually something, a life where we suffer deeply. Maybe we died in this horrific way or we just had a life that was full of just a lot of pain and suffering. And that's usually the thing that kind of cracks it. And then the more life you begin to understand, then you start to see a balance emerge. You start to see the connections you've had with others 
where it emerges, where you see these beautiful lives you've had, where your suffering was more minimal than it was in other lives or even your current life. And I, so I think that it's interesting that the, the life that in which we suffer is usually the one that comes to us first, because it's the one that sometimes affects us the most. For me, when I, when past life information comes through, when I see it, whether it's for myself or I see it for someone else, it tends not to have the connection of not always, but it, I'm not feeling a specific being connected with it. It's more like, for me, it's more like I see a movie playing and it's more like I'm I'm seeing something or I'm there. I'm There's not an intermediary sort of connection. It's not like, it's just, I'm there and I can see it. I can feel it. I can sense it. Um, I just kind of know where I am, you know? It's, it's a different sort of... Um, I guess sometimes when you're getting message from spirit, there's more of a narration to it or something. Like you're, you're like, okay, this is what spirit's showing me. This is what spirit's telling me. And you can usually, you can see the spirit. You can describe the spirit. You can say who they are. Sometimes you get names. Sometimes you get, you know, this is your deceased uncle. This is, you know, a spirit guy from another life. This is someone, you know, who's guiding you. This is an extraterrestrial, whatever it is. You can, you can place a, a person to it. But with past life, it's more about, the place and when I connect with plant path lights in order for me to get to the message and the story I have to describe visually what I see this is the house I see this is the environment that you're in you know it's like placing us differently mm -hmm. um yeah so it's about it's about being in the experience as opposed to being outside the experience so the past life experience is being within it and the experience of of delivering message from spirit is being yeah. outside of the experience whereas if i'm delivering a message from spirit and they're showing me a place i'll be like spirit showing me a telephone connected to the wall and it has a long cord and i see i'm in a kitchen and i see a gingham tablecloth and all of this i know this because spirit's showing it to me whereas if it's a past life connection i'm in it it's almost as if i am suddenly back there um the first past life that I saw of myself in a shamanic journey I did with a shaman that I worked with is I was bought to the South American village um you know and I was in the village and I could see all of the places I could feel myself walking down and I almost had this sort of taste in my mouth connected to the dryness of the dirt and, and I was there, like there was no way outside of it. It wasn't, I wasn't seeing it, spirit wasn't showing it to me. I was there, you know, it was a almost as real as us sitting here having this conversation. I was watching that show about channels, about um, the Oracle of Delphi, right? And the person who discovered Baya was a man named Robert Paget, And mm -hmm. When I when I heard that, that's what snapped me to attention to really watch the show, because I, I think I've shared with you and I often share this experience as the way that spirit communicates because it's so circuitous about, you know, maybe four or five years ago, I was meditating and my my friend's father had died. And during the meditation, he had died like that day or the day before. And during the meditation, a man appeared to me and he was outside and looked a certain way and I could see him very clearly. And he started trying to say something. And eventually he said the word pageant. And I was not sure what he was trying to say. And I Googled it after and eventually came to the name of an actor whose name was Valerie Paget Brewster or something like that. And 
learned later that his first name, that my friend's father's first name was Valerie because she sent a picture of his mass card and it was him. Well, the person I saw was him and his name was Valerie. But then as I was watching the show and this guy, Robert Paget appeared, he also looked exactly like the guy I saw in this meditation. And his name was Paget. And then Paget discovered Baya, which is about the oracles of Baya. And I just had this real connection to the, the underground catacombs that led to the the sanctorium of the oracles of Baya. So I was like, maybe that was Robert Baya who came through to me. And, and you know, as we experience in circle, often messages can hit more than one person at a time. So it could have been both. But I, I was really blown away by that because I've had a certain understanding of that experience for many years. And now suddenly I'm like, maybe that was Robert ba Paget, you know? And I wasn't taken to him when I Googled it after the fact. I wasn't taken to Robert Paget, but. And that's the way I feel like those sort of synchronicities and those sorts of connections are the way that it's not even spirit is showing us. It's the way the universe will allow to see the connections among the universe and the connection among all of these spirits, uh, all, all of these experiences. And when we see it like this, it's it's just like we, we see the interconnectedness and everything. It's it's beautiful. And that's sort of like those sort of moments and those sort of connections are just like, that's where you know you've had it and you've seen that connection. You felt it. You know the truth of it. And there's yeah. no amount of explanation that you can give to anybody that's going to make them feel what you felt in that moment. There's no that science that's going to prove that experience. And there's no there's no need to question the truth of it. I, you know, and that's that's a thing that you are very much gifted with that I am still working on. You You have a very... You're very, very open. I am very, very open too, but I also have a, a, a lot of, um, I'm still working through my, um, what's the word I'm looking for? My, well, you know, I mean, the, one of the re reasons I first started going to circles was because I wanted to have shared with you that I had read Yogananda's biography and he has the part where he's talking about the palace that his guru he, another man and his guru appeared in while they were meditating in the forest and 24 hours later, they came to in the forest again, and they had just spent 24 hours in this, you know, palace created by his guru's energetic powers. And I, I, he means that story is a true story. He's not making, that's not an allegory that happened, but I can't, I, I can't believe that. I don't have the capacity to be able to believe that that actually happened. I'm getting closer, but I don't have the capacity and I want the capacity to be open to the fact that that can be physically true. I want to believe that a being named Mary or Jesus was crucified and came back to life because of their energetic powers and their, you know, Kundalini that they worked through in, a, in their lifetime to bring them to that point. Mm -hmm. I want to believe it. And so that's why I started going to circles so that I could open my belief systems more. And for me, I think the one thing I'm realizing is that the moments of wonder and the feelings I get with that connection where you have this moment and you know the truth of it and you can feel your heart chakra just light on fire and explode and you feel that sense of oneness and you're altered into this sort of connection with the universe. I don't want to say I'm chasing that, but I'm understanding that continuing to have those moments are like, that's moving me closer to a sort of feeling and embodiment and way that I want to live my life, you know? and um. I think that the glimpses of those moments are what it means when we begin to transcend all of this and we ascend and 
I think that's where we're all going someday <laughs> to being able to connect with the bliss, you know, mm -hmm. but we're not going to get there unless we lean into the pain and suffering and allow it to be what it's going to be. We're never going to get where we need to go if we haven't allowed ourselves to chase those moments of pain. You know, we're not going to understand the true joy if we understand, if we're not allowing ourselves to understand the opposite of the joy. And I think having both of those experiences brings us to this point of balance Mm -hmm. And everything's balanced. And I think we're talking a little bit about karma here too, but maybe that word isn't exactly right when we when we look at it in the bigger picture. I think that that's why reincarnation is looking at it and an understanding is a necessary part of this balance, you know, because even if it's not 100% right, it's the way that our linear society can understand it right now. <laughs> so one can wrap their head around reincarnation, but when, when you start talking about being a multi-leveled being, you know, um, that's where it gets a little more dicey. Yeah, I mean, what's more linear than the idea of dying and going to heaven? And that's the predominant belief for many people in our society today. And then you take reincarnation. Yeah a little bit more complicated, maybe a little bit makes more sense. But my my problem with yeah. the linearity of it is just the idea that, you know, you go from one life to the other. And I was I was a certain person from 1918 to 1968. And then I was born in 1975. And I'm this person until I die. And then when I die, I'm a new person. I don't think it's like that. And I know neither do you. But that that's kind of the way it's sold right now. A lot of people think of it that way. Like, and I, and I think perhaps it is jumping from body to body, but it's all happening at once. So like my last life might have been being the king of Persia. Or it might have been being a, a child in the in the streets of Babylon, you know, last life. Or right now that life could be happening. And I'm also living this life and that life and all the lives that have ever existed. Yeah, all of those things at once. And that's just my personal viewpoint on it, right. you know. Yeah. But we have to break it down in a way to be able to process it, right? Because our brains can only process something in this body in a certain way. Yes, we're limited. We have major limitations in terms of the yeah. way we but you know, limitations are changing because I actually went online and I was like, what do Americans think about reincarnation? And it's saying that currently over a third of Americans believe in reincarnation, right? It's like it's actually 33%, which is very odd. But that is growing 65% over the last 20, 20 years. So I think that that's like, that's, that those are huge statistics. And that when we look at Catholics, 36% of Catholics believe in reincarnation. So the number is actually higher for Catholics than it is for Americans on a whole. I mean, the truth though, is that if you call yourself a Catholic, you believe in reincarnation. You're fooling yourself if you don't. If you believe in Jesus and that Jesus died on the cross and then came back, then you believe in reincarnation. It might be yeah. your own version of reincarnation, but you believe in reincarnation. And as we talked about, reincarnation was but it's the same difference i think at the end of the day maybe right and it, and if you if you look at the it, apparently as we've talked about if you look at the extant gospels there that were found in you know nag hammadi and and other places mm -hmm. reincarnation was a big part of jesus's teachings actually it's just that it's been hit. hello bowie hello to bowie bowie says who's i Bowie was, I think Bowie was definitely Cleopatra. 
Definitely. He, he, yeah, <laughs> it was um, a little bit of Cleopatra, a little bit of someone who is incredibly destructive. <laughs> I think that uh, that that's something that is a way to explain a lot of people eschew past life regressions because they say everybody's always someone famous. You know, whenever you go to a past life regressionist, they tell you you were Cleopatra or you were somebody really big in history. And it's like, well, maybe we all were. Maybe maybe we all were Cleopatra and we were also Cleopatra's cobbler, you know, and or just a cobbler or a person who was shelterless and died on the streets. Maybe we were all these things all at once. You know, it, it's a way that kind of expands the possibilities here. And I guess that's what I'm always trying to do is just expand the possibilities by discerning the things that maybe, you know, rather than being locked into certain versions of things. Maybe we can expand our definitions of them. And that might mean throwing away certain thought systems around certain things, you know? And I really love how you are beginning to incorporate more of your experience as a past life regressionist into your readings, at least in circle. And I, I hope you continue to do that. Um, and I know that we are, that time's up for us today. Uh, so with that, my doorbell rang. <laughs> oh, really? Interesting. Okay. So, uh, Thank you for this really interesting conversation. And um, you can be found, as everyone knows, and we'll pro probably won't even need to say this anymore soon, but from shadows to light.com mm -hmm. and from shadows to light on Instagram, uh, Kristen harlow.com. Uh, and um, that's me. And uh, thank you for expounding on your wisdom on reincarnation, Dana. Thank you. It was always uh, so much fun and a huge pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Absolutely. And thank you to all our listeners as well. And we will see you next time. Mm -hmm.